singing about the glorious future that is ours. But the Bible does that frequently. God, through his prophets, gives to his people um, visions in his word, prophecies of what shall be. So when we sing about what shall be, we are praising God. We're praising that if he says it's going to happen, we can start to enjoy that reality now. Uh, We have no excuse to arrive in the kingdom of Christ as people say, wow, I I had no idea any of this was going to happen. I, I, boy, I, no one told me about this. And you don't want to say that out loud in that day because God went to great lengths to give us a little idea of, of the glorious things to come. And uh, Zion, Jerusalem, certainly today, is not under God and Christ. Um, but the day is coming when a new Jerusalem will be under Christ, a new Zion, and we are citizens. Because by faith in Jesus Christ, we are his people. And uh, so what a blessed people we are. Well, tonight I encourage you to turn your Bibles with me to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11, as we get back to our study of the book of Hosea. Um, Hosea chapter 11, and it is uh, appropriate in in God's plan that uh, we would be preaching studying this text tonight. Obviously, uh, as of this hour, you've heard uh, over 700 Israeli citizens were murdered yesterday and and even today. Over 700. um, Hundreds, thousands rather, more wounded. Uh, what's going on in Israel right now is, is uh, unprecedented in recent history, really the last 50 years. Just before coming over tonight, um, I read a Wall Street Journal ar- article uh, confirming that Iran is, in fact, was in meetings in the last few weeks with Hezbollah and Ham- Hamas that attacked Israel yesterday. And uh, so uh, I share all those details because we grieve over the things that have happened. We do pray as we did for Israel this morning. We will pray this evening for Israel. But one of the uh, responsibilities we have as Bible-believing people is to take seriously these events. Uh, Let them sink in. And especially the younger generation right now, there's a real opportunity for you to, uh, because right now you're, you're reading or hearing your Bible in stereo. You're, you're reading what God says about the world, what God says about sin and evil and wicked men, what God says about Israel, what God says about the nations that seek to devour Israel. And you're hearing the Bible in stereo because you're hearing it, you're reading it, and as, as you have opportunity through various news sources and you're seeing it's, it's, it's on, the Bible is true. 
and you're seeing it played out. Now, as I said this morning not to, and tonight, I'm not making any um, comments about, you know, uh, how the current events play into um, the unfolding of God's plan. All we can be absolutely certain of is, with a sense of awe, is, wow, um, this document that is thousands of years old tells it like it is, describes the world that we live in, and somehow this tiny little nation, the size of Vermont, is here we are at the center of the world's attention tonight. Doesn't matter what news channel you turn on, liberal, conservative, doesn't matter. Every single one, rightly so, is fixated on this tiny little nation, Israel. And uh, Israel is a modern state, uh, was formed in 1948. Fifty years ago, I mean, they've had various conflicts, but there was a, a serious battle on Yom Kippur, and, and uh, we really are, in yesterday and today, truly living in a, in a historic moment, and we, we don't know right now where this will go. What we do know is we've been told that this is how it would be. So we should not be caught off guard. We should not be shocked. But we should use this as an opportunity to sensitize our minds and our hearts to the realities described in God's word. So uh, I am going to be preaching in Zechariah in the mornings for the weeks to come. And if you don't come on Sunday mornings, and I encourage you to listen. Zechariah is a book of prophecy about God's love for Israel and Judah. And it, in a sense, is the, like the Rev- book of Revelation is to the New Testament. The book of Zechariah is to the Old Testament. And so we look forward to that. But tonight we are, uh, this morning we are in Zechariah, which is around five, say 500 years roughly before the birth of Christ. We go back now to Hosea, which is several hundred years earlier, and yet still we found that even at this time, uh, Israel in the north had not been judged. Uh, Judah in the south had not been judged in the sense that they'd not been carried off into exile. But judgment is coming. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, and I will read through verse 11. And I'll be reading tonight out of the Legacy Standard Version, which does translate the covenant name of God, Yahweh, instead of Lord. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son, The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to graven images. Yet it is I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of a man, with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws. And I bent down and fed them. They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria. He will be their king because they refused to return to me. 
and the sword will whirl against their cities and will consume their gate bars and devour them because of their counsels. So my people are hung up on turning from me. Though they call them to the one on high, none at all exalts him. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I give you over to be like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are stirred. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not make Ephraim a ruin again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They will walk after Yahweh He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar, and his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will settle them in their houses, declares Yahweh. Amen. Let's pause and pray and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Our hearts, O God of Israel, and our God and Father, are stirred uh, in these hours by the accounts that we're hearing coming out of Israel. We are uh, not shocked, but nonetheless we are uh, taken aback and horrified by the violence that has taken place against men and women, innocent, living in their home and children. We continue to pray, as we will tonight, for Israel. But we ask tonight that you would use these current events to impart, help us bring to our study of your word tonight, perhaps a greater sensitivity than we have before. And that we will leave here tonight in awe of you, the God who declares all things that shall come to pass and who is so faithful to his people. So bless us now and impress these words upon our hearts. And most of all, we ask that we may know you. Above all, we pray that we may know you as our loving Heavenly Father. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, Hosea has been a difficult book for us to study on Sunday evenings because it is a very severe call of God to his people, particularly Hosea ministered to the ten northern tribes known as Israel over and against Judah in the south. And it's been a difficult study because as you've come Sunday evening by Sunday evening, though we have frequently seen evidences of God's grace and of his kindness. We've heard his continuing call to repent and to return to him, a gracious call, a gospel call. Nonetheless, we have learned again and again that at this point in history that Israel was, as, as God says in this text, hung up on turning from him. And so the certainty of judgment now is in their future. And this ought not to be a surprise for all the way back in the ministry of Moses. Before Moses died, he stood before the people of Israel, and it's recorded in the, towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy, 
And he recounted them the blessings and the curses that would come upon them based upon whether or not they would remain steadfast in faith and obedience to God who had rescued them out of Egypt. And he prophesied, Moses was not only a lawgiver, he was a prophet, he was a revealer of God's word, and he spoke of the future, and that in fact Israel would turn from God in the stubbornness of their hearts, and that they would resist his gentle, gracious yoke, as it were, And because of that, that one of the judgments would be that they would be taken off to exile. That in a sense, they would return to Egypt, where they had been in bondage for some 400 years. And so it's not surprising, but it is surprising in a sense that God waited so long, that he was so kind, that he was so compassionate, so long-suffering, so forbearing, never, never looking over their sin, but nonetheless, in his faithfulness and in his love, bearing generation after generation of of blatant, vile idolatry. And here in Hosea chapter 11 is a very moving recounting of God's covenant love for his people. Look with me in chapter 11, the first four verses. We see here in God recounting his past fatherly kindness his fatherly kindness. And he is looking primarily in the past. God says when Israel was a youth, what's the time he's referring to? Of course, he's referring to the nation and he's personifying the nation. And he's speaking of of when Israel was in bondage in Egypt, in in slavery. And, And think of it, for hundreds of years, these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were in the land of Egypt as abject slaves, and they were used by the, increasingly by the pharaohs for various projects. Some of the pyramids that you see today were built by Hebrew slaves, and they really didn't understand themselves as a nation in that sense. They didn't, they didn't have an identity uh, they held, the only identity had that they had was they, they knew they were physically related, ethnically related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they were scattered throughout Egypt. They were, they were slaves. They were the lowest of the low. They had no wealth. They had no power. They had no ability. They had no, uh, certainly no government or leadership of any kind. And they were, they, they were kind of like what you find in Genesis chapter 1 when, when we're told this mysterious scene of, of the, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and, and the earth was formless and void. And Israel as a nation was at that point somewhat formless and maybe not void, but, but they, weren't, they, they weren't really, they didn't have this ancient history, in other words, like Egypt. They were a young child, in a sense, as a nation, And God birthed them and and brought them as a son out of Egypt. But here, even from early on, and we certainly know this from the Exodus account, which those of you in the Bible study will be reading this week, right? How's your homework going? All right, good. Keep it up. Uh, And I encourage you this week to read the whole of Exodus if you have the opportunity. If if you don't, it's okay. But, But in Exodus, you're going to learn that 
God brought Egypt out of Israel out of Egypt with, you know this, with great wonders and great power. It was an incredible display of, of power and grace. And yet, yet, though Moses and other prophets called them to faithfulness in God, verse 2, the more that those prophets called the people, that's the reference there most likely, is, is to the ministry of Moses and the other godly prophets of God, the more they called the people, the more the people went from the prophets. And all throughout their history, they persisted in their idolatry. Um, we learn in, in Scripture that even, even in the wilderness, they, they maybe secretly were offering sacrifices to some of the gods and goddesses that they had known in Egypt. And of course, they worshipped the golden calves. And, and then when it came to the history of Israel in the north, they set up two golden calves, one in Bethel, one in Dan, and they worshipped them. And, and with the golden calves that supposedly represented Yahweh, the God of Israel, which of course they didn't, they also worshipped the Baals. And even though godly prophets like Elisha and Elijah, we, we've studied those men on Sunday, learned, studied the scriptures about those men on Sunday nights, no, more, no matter how the prophets called the people to repentance and faith, fidelity to Yahweh, they kept sacrificing to the Baals, burning incense to graven images. And yet God says, verse 3, he is the only God and the one God from the very beginning who taught them to walk. Ephraim is a, um, it's only one of the northern tribes, but because they were um, uh, significant and, and they became a um, representative of the entirety of northern Israel, of, of, na- of the Israel nation, uh, 10 northern tribes. And so Ephraim was a, a, a beloved, another name for the tribes in the north of the nation of Israel. It's a very tender picture here. God, Almighty God, who revealed himself at Sinai, reveals here that it was he who personally active was, was personally active in helping Israel just begin to walk as a nation. I'm so thankful that in this church, um, over the years, I've witnessed very kind and loving and tender fathers. Um, th- that's good. Because we as fathers may blow it in a lot of different ways, but one area we want to be sure we do not blow it in is being kind and tender because we teach our children, we are the first lesson as fathers as to what their God and Heavenly Father is like. And that's by God's design. And yes, we represent, it, we, we represent correction and so forth, but, but I've seen loving fathers with their, with their little babies and they're holding them. And, and, and then one of the greatest things, a mom or dad's joy is, is a little one just learning to walk and, and you see that little, little footsteps going. Uh, some of you remember uh, Ethan Yui, Lisa's uh, son and and, uh, and their little daughter, Corinne, years ago, Ethan was helping me in the church office. I still have on my phone some video, and Ethan was in there in the church office helping me. He had Corinne, and uh, there were these the bulletins. We had a machine that printed the bulletins in those days and, and uh, folded them automatically. So the, the bulletin would go through, print both sides, and then uh, 
spit them out folded. And Ethan was there and, and Corinne was just, I mean, just starting to walk. You know, those cute little shoes that they make for little girls. And I have video of her. I just, she just go over to the copier as it's spitting out the folded bulletins and she would take it as she was sucking on her thumb and, and, and walk over to her father, Ethan, and then go back. I, I, it's precious. I've got to show it to you. And, and there's a loving father and, and other loving fathers at, that teach their little ones to walk and they, they watch that they don't fall too hard. I mean, dad's job is a little bit to let little ones experience the world a little bit. But, but like a loving father, Yahweh is the one who got Israel on its feet. They were not a nation as such. He was gracious to them. And, and not only did he teach them to walk, he wasn't the kind of father who said, well, there, I've now taught you to walk. I'm never going to hold you again. You've got two legs. Work it out yourself. I, if you see a father like that, you think, what kind of ogre is that? So we see fathers in this church, and, and you've known fathers who love to hold their children. And, and they don't have to be babies. I'm very grateful. Uh, I am blessed that uh, I have a father, and, and I, I had a grandfather who's now with the Lord, who, who just didn't hesitate to hug me, to show me affection. Uh, I, I've shared this many times, but it, it made a big impression on me. I, I didn't see my grandfather who was a missionary uh, very often a couple times a year maybe but boy when we arrived um, and he was a church planter by that time his uh, preaching um, planting a a spanish-speaking church in new jersey whenever i i went to see him i could be absolutely sure that my grandfather blake would be standing outside didn't matter what time it was but our drive which of course seemed very long when you're you're a kid but he'd be standing there, and I could be absolutely certain that I would get a big hug from my grandfather and a big kiss on the cheek. And it didn't matter if I was 13, 14, 15. It didn't matter. I mean, I know not every family's a kissing family, but, but it just made an impression on me. This, this man really loves me. This man really cares for me. And what, a, what an image here that God, Yahweh, reveals that he has acted like a loving father to Israel. He took them in his arms. He carried them, as it were. But they didn't realize that. They didn't know that it was God who healed them. There's a lesson there for us, certainly, isn't there? Though here is a truth that God reveals specifically about Israel, but there's a principle here that we who are believers in Jesus Christ who are taught clearly in the New Testament that it's our Heavenly Father who called us to himself and set his love on us. That the answer to the question, where's God, has always been with us. Sometimes causing us to walk. Sometimes literally carrying us. And the older we live as Christians, the more we can look back and truly see those times when, when he just carried us. He carried us. And notice the nature of his, of his leading them. The, the imagery now changes from father and a son to a owner of a, um, a young ox or a, a, a little cow that is learning to bear the yoke. 
God led the people of Israel with cords of a man. In other words, he, he wasn't abusive. He, he treated them humanely. He, he drew them with bonds of love. What a beautiful term that is. What, was the, what, was, what did God rely on most of all to draw his people out of Egypt? It certainly was his power. He certainly showed them his power in displays of his miracles. He surely made an impression upon them at Mount Sinai. But what God rested on most of all to call his people to himself was bonds of love. Telling them his faithfulness, giving himself to them, giving them his ways, providing to them a way that they could live in close proximity to a holy God. Bonds of love. And I became to them, he says, as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. I couldn't help but think of our uh, brother Charlie Jaworski with the Lord now. I, if you knew Charlie at all, uh, he had cows, and uh, he was just a farmer. And, and he, but the reason he had cows, I think mainly, was because he liked them when they were calves. <laughs> and if you were around him at his farm with those little calves, he just, he babied them, he spoiled them. He just got a kick out of caring for those little calves. And, and uh, it was just, here's this man who's, who's tough and his hands are worn by working outside. He, he's, Charlie was no cream puff. He's a farmer. He knew how to work hard. And yet, boy, he just had a soft spot in his heart for these little calves. And uh, God condescends here to present himself as one who cared for Israel like a, like a, a farmer with a big heart. Gives a little extra special attention to a calf that's maybe weighed down by a yoke, maybe, maybe tired under the training, and, and he lifts the yoke from their jaws so that they can eat a little bit. And, and instead of making them weary themselves anymore with, you know, maybe fighting among the bigger cows and, and nudging their way in or or maybe having to work any harder to get it, the, the, the farmer, like Charlie would with his calves, bends down and actually personally gives them some grain or feeds them some milk. What an image. Is this how we think of God? It's not the only presentation, certainly, of God we have in the Bible, but it is part of the revelation of who our God is. He's this kind of fatherly God. And, and, and don't you think when, when Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, and when he taught them to pray, our Father, our Father who is in heaven, that in a culture that they were in in that day of pharisaical um, self-righteousness and, and perhaps overemphasized certain aspects of God's character and neglected this fatherly kind aspect because it's actually very humbling isn't it if you think of God in this way that he loves me in this way that I need this kind of love (laughs) that in that culture that Jesus was trying to impress upon his disciples you need to learn that your God is your father in heaven yes oh yes he's in heaven but he's your father 
in heaven and he cares for you and he loves you. So that many years later, the Apostle John would write, Dear beloved, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we, we would be called children of God. I hope you think of your God that way. He is holy, he is great, and and he is worthy of our awe and worthy of our worship. But don't have harsh thoughts about your Father in heaven. He loves you. Well, Jesus, rather God, uh, recounts his love for, and, and Jesus is God, so I shouldn't have used rather there, but God, Yahweh here, the God of Israel, who is our God, he recounts his fatherly kindness and patience in the past. Then in verses 5 through 7, he, he comes back to the present reality of impending judgment, the present reality of impending judgment and discipline. This is he says, because of their persistence, this time because they are not listening to God and the call to return and repent, they're, they're, in a, they're not going to return to the land of Egypt. They will, in a sense, return in that they will be in bondage again. They will, that was the judgment announced by Moses, that they would once again go into slavery into judgment but this time instead of Egypt Assyria will be their king and that's exactly what happened in the north to the 10 tribes that constituted Israel it was Assyria in 722 722 BC 700 years or so before Christ it was Assyria that came in started ravaging the cities of Israel and ultimately, in 722, overtook their capital. And what Assyria did when they came, uh, and, and I mean, again, let, let this sink in. Uh, what's horrifying about the news yesterday and today is, is the thought of even a few hundred people, civilians, young and old, being hauled off and some of you have seen the images, hauled off, dragged down the streets, held in places, maybe never to return. Hundreds. In Israel's case under Assyria, that was in the hundreds of thousands. Assyria's policy was pretty effective. If they wanted to subdue a nation like Israel, the way to do that is spread the populace out, take them away into other nations where they don't know the language, where they don't have really any resources and they have to figure out their, their way just to live. So it's kind of hard to organize a rebellion when you're trying to just literally put food on the table. So they, the serious policy was to take them, spread them to various nations, and that's why the ten tribes were, were scattered, as the text Later says they'll come trembling from the west. They were scattered east, west, south, north. They, they were spread around by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians then brought other peoples and transported them into Israel so that the land would be full of foreigners. And so many years later, that's how you get Samaritans. They were descendants of the 
people that the Assyrians had brought in to take over the land. So it's sad here. And again, verse 6 is especially um, riveting, sadly. The sword will whirl against their cities, and, and that's what we witnessed yesterday especially, or heard of, as these evil, wicked men went into these cities in southern Israel and went into homes and just murdered people um, and consumed their gate bars. The, the image there of we've seen on the news of maybe you've seen, I, I assume many of you have seen, the very complicated and, and advanced gate system that Israel had set up for good reason in Gaza, apparently. They've been criticized for it. Well, we're learning why they have it. And those gate bars, one of the images we see is that various breaches were made in those gates and then were widened, open, widened, open so that these men could just pour through and unleash misery upon the cities in southern Israel. That's what happened many years earlier, many years ago, nearly 2,700 years ago when the Assyrians overran Israel and Assyria was brutal. We have um, excellent archaeological records. You can Google this if you want. The, the assault of the city of Lachish, uh, of various other towns in Israel and, and Judah, there are reliefs. A relief is a stone carving that depicts a scene. And, and in that scene that we have that's displayed in various museums around the world, we have, you, can, you know what city it is. You can tell they're Israelites. And uh, you see horrible images of people being impaled and so forth. The Assyrians were absolutely brutal. And by their brutality, they sought to instill fear on their enemies, much like these terrorists, we call them, are seeking to do so, much like Iran would like to do. And so the people, this judgment's coming. And what a sad thing in verse 7, my people are hung up on turning from me. I mean, when you're hung up on something, like, you know, your, 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 your coat or your shirt is caught on a hook, and no matter where you want to go, you, you just can't go, you know? And, and they just couldn't get over themselves. They, they were hung up. They, they were caught on turning from God. And though the prophets, again, who are these ones calling to them? These prophets, though the prophets, like Hosea and others, call the people to the one on high, None at all exalts the one on high. Again, we've seen that in the evenings where we've studied 1 Kings and 2 Kings. I mean, you have been a faithful, uh, persistent group of people to come on Sunday nights because in a way, on some Sunday nights over the past year, it's been like, what are you doing tonight? uh, Well, we're going to go to church. We're going to learn again how the Israelite refuses to listen to the prophets and the word of God and what are you doing next Sunday night? Well, we're going to church to listen how Israel, under king so-and-so, refused to listen to the prophets and the word of God. <laughs> and, and that's how it goes. They are hung up on it. None exalts him. There's a little lesson here. 
an important lesson pastorally. If we sense our heart starting to turn from the Lord, listen, listen to this. And young people, listen to this. You start to hear, you feel your heart turning from the Lord. You don't be indifferent to that. You run from that and you get down on your knees and you cry out to God right that moment. And you say, oh God, I don't want to leave you. I don't want to get hung up on turning from you. But if you indulge, you're kind of casual with the world and, and not following the Lord. You watch it, you could get to the place where you're hung up on turning from him. You, you think you, any moment you can just dabble in this for a little while, but surely at some point you'll be able to turn to him. No, what a, what a frightening thing to get to the place where we could be like the people of Israel who were hung up on turning from him. Well, in verses 8 through 11, we come now to an incredible revelation of the character of God. It's not new, but it is incredible in the sense of its uh, how personal and intimate it is. This is an insight into the heart of God, and God here is, is saying, how can I give you up? How can I surrender you, O Israel? He's God is not conflicted within, but here we have an insight into the, the glory and the holiness of the multifaceted and yet unified character of God. He is holy, and so he must punish and he must address sin. And he is faithful in his love. So when he has said to Israel that he will love them and that he will be faithful to them. He will love them and he will be faithful to them. And so he is here lamenting. He is agonizing. I say that reverently. And again, here using human language to describe the the indescribable realities of, of the inner workings of God. But God here is is lamenting over Israel, over Ephraim, and he refers to Adma and Zeboim. These are two cities that were near Sodom and Gomorrah and were just overtaken in judgment. And God's saying, I, I can't, even though Israel is morally like Sodom and Gomorrah, God's saying, I can't give you over like Adma and like Zeboim. My heart is turned over within me. Wow. All my compassions are stirred. Now, we must be very careful here to assert that God is not conflicted as we so often are. You want to be very careful not to impose upon God the kind of indecisiveness and emotionally driven nature of of men and women in our day. He is God. He is settled. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he doesn't go to a counselor. He doesn't know anxiety. We know anxiety. We rightly should go seek counsel from godly men and women from time to time. But, but he's, he's not in that sense conflicted. What this is again is a revelation of the astounding covenant love of God, of Yahweh for his people. 
And when he says in verse 9, I will not execute my burning anger, I know that may be a little confusing at first because you think, well, hasn't he just announced that he's going to judge them in his anger? Yes. And isn't the Bible clear that God's anger is going to continue this hardening that Israel is under right now? Uh, we need to understand partly what's, understand what's going on right now in Israel is, is a reflection of Israel's continued turning from God and experiencing judgment, just like the world does generally. And we learn in the Bible that in the last days, Zechariah will be clear about this, Israel and Judah will undergo a severe judgment until they are humbled to the place where they look upon him whom they pierced and mourn for him until they are repentant. So, yes, God is going to carry out his judgment upon Israel through the Assyrians, Judah through the Babylonians, to this day the hardening of Israel, and in the future this horrible last week, Daniel's 70th week, in which Israel will experience unprecedented judgment, the, the time of Jacob's trouble is referred to. Yes, it's coming, but what God is saying is he will not listen, he will not give full vent to his anger so that there's there's no stop to it he because he's not like man he doesn't react like man does man man tends to get fired up and in his emotions maybe loses his his clear thinking or loses struggles to keep his anger or his emotions in in agreement with a man's character, not so with God. God's not like that. And so he's telling us here that he is truly moved over the sin of Israel and moved in his love for Israel, but he is not like us. So when he has covenanted that he will not change and that he will fulfill his covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Israel and Judah, that he will absolutely carry that out. That his anger does have a check and it is his own holy character. He doesn't fly off the handle, in other words. God doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't ever go out of control. He is God, verse 9, and not a man, the holy one in your midst. And so in that sense, he will not come in unmitigated, unchecked wrath. And then in verses 10 and 11, yes, God is going to judge Israel, but then he promises again, and with this we close tonight, wonderful words of comfort. They, and who's the they? The they here has to be Israel, ethnic Israel nation, a remnant in the last days. They will walk after Yahweh. He will roar like a lion. Yes, he will roar. That's an awesome thing. When Jesus returns to this earth, I think I can say this. Be assured that one of the greatest impressions that will ever be made upon you in all of eternity future will be when you hear the voice of your Redeemer King when he shouts, 
and cries out in victory and goes into battle on behalf of his people and wins. He's been waiting a long time. And when he comes and when he roars like a lion to redeem Israel, you'll hear something that you will never forget. And 10 million years from now, or however time's going to work, we're going to be sitting around and we'll say, do, do you remember that? Do you remember when he came back to earth and when he, I'll never forget it. <laughs> he will roar. And not only will he roar, but he will change the hearts of his people, a remnant, so that some of them will come trembling from the west. What's the trembling there? Trembling in fear of God and trembling in repentance and humility. It reminds you of what I, in Isaiah what God says, this is the one to whom I will look, who, to him who is contrite, of spirit and who trembles at my word. The word tremblers, trembling from the West. These are not hardened, stuffed, stiff-necked, stubborn, unrepentant people anymore. These are people who are repentant, trembling, coming from the West, trembling like birds from the South, from Egypt, like doves from the land of Assyria, modern-day Iraq. And they will settle them in their houses and I will settle them in their houses, declares Yahweh. I, I don't know what you do with that if that doesn't mean that God is going to settle some, a remnant of Israel someday in their houses. <laughs> um, it's going to be wonderful. And we'll see Jesus reigning over Israel, a new Israel, and a restored Israel, restored Judah, safe they won't have any walls around their cities anymore. We'll learn more about that in Zechariah. No locks on the doors. Why? <laughs> Jesus will be there. Personally and in power. Until then, we, we pray for Israel. And as for our part, we love this Lord, this God, because this God of Israel, this God revealed to us in Hosea, he is not just Israel's God. He is only the one and true God, and he's your God, and he's your father, and he loves you with the same kind of covenant love. Let's pray. Oh, we love you, God, for your love for us, and we're humbled by it and awed and moved by your tender love. We pray that you would help us not to be like Israel of old or even Israel at present in that there's a stubborn refusal to listen to the clear teaching of your word concerning your son, the Messiah. We pray that we would be humble and contrite and tremble at your word. And at the same time, we do pray again tonight for Israel. We pray for those innocent people who right now have been taken hostage and we tremble to think of the kind of conditions they're experiencing and and we really can't comprehend these things, but we know that you, God, are not indifferent and that you're watching and that you, Lord Jesus, are interceding. And we do pray that through these days that perhaps some among Israel would cry out to you and to Jesus of Nazareth as their great Messiah, maybe for the first time. We understand that that won't come about in large scale until the 
the things that have been promised will come about. We understand that these, to these days a partial hardening has occurred to Israel, but as fellow sinners, as those who ourselves are bent on sinning apart from your grace, we pray, O oh God, have mercy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, sing together how great the Father's love for us. Number 